I've got uh, Netflix at home, and they have some of these programs, um, Creatures That Defy Evolution, and it's just specials about how these animals don't make any sense in what they do. Like um, a giraffe, for example. Not just the way it looks, but you realize a giraffe has so much blood and so much blood pressure and so much height that when it bends over to drink, the blood shooting down should explode its brain. But it doesn't, because there's a sponge next to the brain that absorbs the liquid and then feeds it into the brain. And then when it stands up, of course, it should faint dead away, but it doesn't, because there's all these little valves that keep that from happening. And it just goes on and says, you know, this stuff couldn't happen by accident. It could have only happened by design. Some of God's creatures are just, they just amaze me. But some of the things God made... I just find out-and-out out freaky. When I was a little kid, I used to live in Connecticut. And I lived near a forest. And we could just go down the street into this little ravine we called the Trestle. And was, there was a stream down there. And you could flip over rocks and look for salamanders. Now, if you're from Tucson, you probably don't even know what a salamander is. It's, it's a lizard without scales. It's a slimy lizard. They're cute little things. And they're just fun to see if you could find one and catch it and play with it. No harm. But then I found out about the giant salamander. Let's take a look. Not so cute anymore. You imagine flipping over a rock and that sucker jumping out? We're talking six and a half feet long, 145 pounds. One of the creepiest, freakiest things I've seen in a long time. So I moved from uh, Connecticut to California and from California to Florida. When I lived in Florida, we lived near mangrove swamps. And, um, I mean, Florida was crazy wild back in those days. Mosquitoes, you know, they'd line up just to feast off of your body. There used to be trucks that go by and just spray poison to kill the mosquitoes, you know. So anyway, during the rainy time, these crabs would come up out of their holes in the mangrove swamps and just go all over your neighborhood. And if they were little crabs, that'd just be kind of cute. But these crabs... They had like this big arm right in front of them. And then if you got near them, they'd open up their arms and say, come on, bring it on. And I'm, I'm telling you, their arms would open up this long. No exaggeration. And if you drove around, you had to be careful because if you ran over one, it could pop your tire. I mean, these things were vicious and nasty and... Ugh. But that's nothing compared to the coconut crab. Let's take a look. Oh, yeah. Guess what coconut crabs eat? Guess? Guess? Can you, how do you break open a coconut? You'd be that big. These things are like 3.3 feet and weigh up to 38 pounds. How would you like one of those things on your door at home? Freaky, freaky. I wonder if they taste good. How would you hunt them, though, with a shotgun? Oh, they're like giant spiders in armor. I don't like them. Well, here's um, Laurel and Hardy of the fish world. Let's take a look. These are hatchet fish. They're small. They're only one to five inches. Don't they look like they should be singing a song in bass right now? Boom, 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 boom. Probably, though, the freakiest of them all is the blobfish. Let's take a look. It looks like a giant face booger, doesn't it? It's disgusting. This thing lives like 2,000 feet below sea level, so it's got just a lot of blob and cartilage, so no, I guess no pressure on the bones or whatever. How many of you remember Jimmy Durante? 
Can you see the familiarity? <laughs> Wonder if it was like his pet. So one time we were at SeaWorld, and you know, SeaWorld's amazing. Yeah, it's a great aquarium. But I saw a fish at SeaWorld that I didn't believe. You know, they say seeing is believing. I was seeing it, but I, I was wondering if I was like, my brain wasn't working. Because what I was seeing didn't make sense. And I, I was trying to tell myself, that can't be what you're seeing. Maybe that's a fake fish, or maybe that's like a gimmick fish, a joke. It looked like a fish head about five feet long with two fins on it. A giant fish head. Let's take a look at the sunfish. That's a real fish. Like, we're talking 880 pounds worth of fish, six feet long. And it just looks like a giant head with two little fins and a little squigglies off the back. Freaky looking thing. But I think this is Nightmare on Elm Street, number six, the viper fish. Take a look. Ew! How'd you like a, what, a school of those coming after you? You know? Truth is stranger than fiction. Now, in the Bible, back in the day, God told Jewish people what kind of food they could eat and what kind of food they couldn't eat, kosher and not kosher. The kosher for fish was it had to have fins and it had to have scales. So would a shark be kosher? No, because it has fins, but it has no scales. How about an um, eel? I don't think it has scales, but it definitely doesn't have fins. Tuna? Yeah, scales and fins. What about the sea pig? With just the name pig, it's got to be not kosher, right? Let's take a look at the sea pig. Ooh, Isn't that gross? I'm glad that thing's only this big, though, fit in the palm of your hand. So I wanted to show you some of God's freakier creatures, hopefully ones you hadn't seen before. But obviously God has made some beautiful things, too. One of the most beautiful things in nature, in my opinion, is fall. Let's take a look at this picture. Isn't that just beautiful? I just love that photo. Of course, we don't have fall here. What do we have here? We have summer and not so hot summer. <laughs> but we do have Tucson sunsets. Take a look. Ah, at least we get that. Now, the fall trees that I showed you were my number two favorite. My number one favorite, let's take a look. Ah. Do you see my lounge chair right there? Dave, we can get one for you too. Oh, is that yours? Yeah. So it's not a matter of when, buddy. It's a matter of how, all right? Let's just put our heads together and figure out how. I'm, you know, I'm all for a telecast from the Fiji Islands. I'm good with that, you know? Yeah, we could rough it for the Lord. We're good with that. But probably, even though God's creation is cool, Probably the pinnacle of his creation for beauty is really people. You know, we don't have a Miss Sea Pig pageant, but we do have a Miss America pageant. Let's take a look at some beautiful people. Yeah, women. Only got one guy up there. Yeah, I just... <laughs> then again, <laughs> beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> do you think a blobfish finds another blobfish attractive? Can you just imagine one blobfish going over to another and saying, hey, baby, you and me, let's make some little blob babies. What's it look like at the sea pig bar? <laughs> let's just cozy on up 
pick up some women. How do you even know which one are women? <laughs> Beauty is definitely in the eye of the beholder. I mean, God has made some amazing things. Some things we find attractive, and some things we find repulsive. That's my number one repulse right there, spiders. Uh, spiders freak me out. And I'm really glad that, you know, they find all these fossilized bugs that were huge, like dragonflies this big and dinosaurs as big as buildings. But I've never seen a fossil of a giant spider. And boy, am I glad. Because I don't think I'd ever have a good night's sleep again after that. By far, though, the most amazing creature I've ever heard of is mentioned in the Bible in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. Ezekiel... Um, ministered during the captivity. When the Babylonians came to attack Jerusalem, they came in 605, 597, and 586. During those first two attacks, um, Daniel and Ezekiel were taken captive. Not necessarily together. We know about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Ezekiel was taken captive too. So Ezekiel ministered in the captivity just as much as anybody. He ministered in Jerusalem, but then he was taken captive and ministered out. And um, Daniel ministered in the captivity. Jeremiah was also a contemporary, but he ministered at home. He stayed in Jerusalem during the whole thing. So these guys, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all contemporaries. Ezekiel is a very unique prophet. Uh, he did a whole bunch of object lessons. Like God told him, I want you to make a model of the city of Jerusalem and then lay siege to it. Build up siege ramps and it's kind of like a G.I. Joe fortification. Right in front of everybody, he's, he's acting out the destruction of Jerusalem. And you know that's got to make him very popular. You know, you're at war with these people, they're coming to destroy you. And look, 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 look what I'm going to do. I'm going to make up our own defeat right here in front of everybody. It didn't make him popular. But God was trying to use him to warn people, this is what's going to happen to you. He did all sorts of bizarre things, like God wanted him to cut off his hair, weigh some of it, burn some of it, beat some of it with a sword in front of people as an object lesson. One of his object lessons, he had to lay on his side for over a year, counting out the days to count for the sins of the children of Israel. And then four months on his other side. Just He was a physical, living, breathing object lesson. I don't know if this happened through his whole ministry, but there was, God made him dumb. He couldn't talk. Unless he was going to speak for God, then he could talk. He was just a very interesting man. And he had some visions. Some of the most bizarre visions in all the Bible were given to Ezekiel. When I was a young man, curious about God, wondering if he exists, I decided to read the Bible. Started in the notes before Genesis, and then worked my way through until I got to Ezekiel. I got to Ezekiel, and I read what I'm about ready to read to you, and I closed up the book, and I said, I'm done. I have no clue what this guy's talking about. This is weird and confusing. I've read enough. I looked for God. I didn't find him. I'm definitely not going to find him here. Well, you know how that turned out. I found him. But I don't think Ezekiel helped much. Listen to what he said. While I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man. Each of them had four faces and four wings. 
a man with four faces? Okay, I'm already confused. Their faces look like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. It only gets worse. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. And fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. Wings, many faces. Ew, freaky. I know that sounds horribly disrespectful, but I'm just being honest with you. This is freaky. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. And as I looked... At the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature. They sparkled, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around it. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." What? You know, sometimes I'll pull next to a car and it has some of them newfangled rims with the spinning rims or the real narrow top. I said, you want to see some rims? <laughs> These got eyes on them with a spirit in them and they go back and forth. Wow. What did he see? I do not know. It was freaky. They're called cherubim, these creatures he saw. Yeah, not little fat babies with wings. These are cherubim. Did he, do they really have four faces? Is this literal or is it symbolic? You know, oftentimes when heaven is exposed or revealed, it's symbolic. For example, John has visions of heaven and he says, I see a lamb as if it has been slain having seven eyes and seven horns. Well, the slain lamb is Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The seven horns represent his fullness of power and the seven eyes, the Holy Spirit. It's symbolism. So he saw that, but it was symbolic. I wonder if the same thing's going on with Ezekiel. He's looking into heaven and this is what he sees, but it's really representative. I don't know. Maybe things in heaven just are different than here and you can't really explain them. Remember that famous quote from Hamlet? There are more things in heaven and on earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Yeah, there are more things in heaven and on earth. All those freaky creatures I showed you before, were they new? If, if several of them were new to you, let me see your hands. Yeah, most of you. I tried to find ones I didn't think you'd have seen before. I remember one time, it actually happened twice, and it was in California. I was walking down the street, and I, it was nighttime, I had a flashlight, and I saw a bug. And it was this kind of bug. I was afraid to get near it. And I got closer, and the first thing that got into my mind was, man, that's almost as freaky as the bug in the book of Revelation. What is that thing? It was just a big, fat, bulbous, fleshy, pale, zombie-colored bleh. I, I tried to look it up, and somebody told me, oh, you saw a potato bug. I said, well, whatever it was, it didn't look like no potato, and there were no potatoes anywhere around it, but it was freaky. And then another time, I saw this thing that looked like, I'm, I'm not kidding, a spider with wings. Uh-huh. 
and it jumped around like a jumping spider and fluttered its wings, but it never flew. I'm like, am I the only one that sees this? I'm, I was looking for somebody to come by and look at it too, but there was nobody around, and I was like, ew, what are you? <laughs> no, I didn't step on it. But it was freaky. There's just so many freaky things out there. I, I wonder what else is out there we haven't found yet. You know? I hesitate to look. But are these things freaky or is it just my perspective? I mean, I can imagine, oh, you should see humans. They're long, sticky things and they got protrusions sticking out of their protrusions. You know? And they have holes in them. They go inside their bodies. And they excrete things. And they're slimy and dry. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Hey, baby. <laughs> well, obviously, I've been very disrespectful about cherubim. But I'm trying to be just straight honest with you. But cherubim, there's probably nothing wrong with them. They probably look great if your perspective is right. You know what I'm saying? And I think it must be our perspective that's got a problem. My perspective with the cherubim that makes me think they're freaky. Talking about perspective, I've got this really cool video. If I could get uh, Michael to kill the lights, I want to show you a video about perspective that might help us understand cherubim just a little bit better. Welcome to Flatland, a world of only two dimensions. Only forwards and backwards, left and right. In this world, there is no up and no down. I said to Ray, where's Dottie? He said, well, she's out in line. I said, what the bleep is that thing? In this world, the two-dimensional beings that live here have no concept of three-dimensional objects. These two-dimensional flatlanders have no understanding of cubes, spheres, tetrahedrons, or yours truly. From their 2D perspective, my 3D finger looks something like this. circle? Uh -uh. Fear of the unknown. Or should I say, not yet known. It's a puzzle. If we see only what we know, how does anyone ever see anything new? The unknown. How do we ever get out of our box? Hello, little circle. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Who said that? Where are you? This is always the tricky part to explain. I am in another dimension, another space. I am above you.
realm. What do you think it means? I don't know. And I don't want to know. You can be severely punished if you use that word. <gasps> Are you a ghost? <laughs> I hope not. I just have a different perspective than you do. I can see things in a way you can't yet. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well... Okay, you have a safe hidden in your pantry. <laughs> and inside it, you have 12 coins, a will, and a passport. How did you know that? What are you? Are you a god? Well, no more than you. You see, since I am above you, <laughs> in the third dimension, I can see inside things in your world. Third dimension? You are a crazy ghost. There's only two. Look. So, if I were to touch the inside of your stomach, how would I do that? Well, you'd have to cut through my skin. Otherwise, it's impossible. For more? More what? Dimensions. Oh. Directions. Uh, no. Yes, but... Oh. But there aren't any. More? 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 What will happen to me? What will I become? You'd have to become it to know. Okay. Excellent. So, there are more things in heaven and on earth, Horatio, <laughs> than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Reality may be totally different than you and I think it is. We're the Flatlanders. And Ezekiel had a glimpse, a glimpse into heaven. And he's trying to explain to Flatlanders what he saw. And we're just like, oh, that's freaky. Well, yeah, from Flatland perspective, it's freaky. But I bet you up in heaven, probably amazing. I won't be surprised at all if when I see cherubim, I think they're beautiful. But the way Ezekiel described them, from my Flatland perspective, not so much. I do believe heaven is a different dimension. And it makes sense that we don't yet fully understand it. You know, Dr. Quantum isn't God. Cherubim aren't God, but they live where God lives. And so everything's going to be different there. They exist on a different plane. From our plane, maybe they look like they have four faces, but in their plane, maybe they don't look like they have four faces. You know, quantum physics is a wild thing. There's this thing called a quirk, which is one of the smallest pieces of matter. And apparently, let's say you had a quirk, and you put a little X on one side of it, and you flipped it around 360, 380 degrees. How much is a full circle? 360. 360. Did 360 with it the X wouldn't be there. 
Well, how can that be? That's impossible. Yeah, in our world, that's impossible. But in the quantum world, that was Dr. Quantum, by the way, it's not impossible. I don't understand. doesn't make any sense. Really weird stuff. The Bible, though, does tell us some things about cherubim. The first thing is they're seen as guardians. They appear in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and here's what the Bible says. After he drove them out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Cherubim is the, the I am is plural. So a singular, one is a cherub. More than one is cherubim. So you would say, in English, you could say cherubs, but cherubim itself is plural. So, what do we know about them? Well, God used them to guard the way to the tree of life. I can't think of a place in the Bible where they ever appear alone. So I wonder if the word cherub is just convenience for conversation. Maybe there's a place, but they always seem to be together in groups. So I know God uses them as guardians to the way of the tree of life, whatever that means. And I know that they serve in God's presence. Do you remember it said, Ezekiel said he had visions of God, and in the fire he saw all this stuff. So there the cherubim were with the visions of God. But as you look through the Bible, they're always with God. Revelation 4.8, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. There they are, praising God right in his presence. In fact, when Moses was instructed to make the tabernacle, which later became the temple, the centerpiece in the holiest place was the Ark of the Covenant. And what did God tell Moses to put over the Ark of the Covenant? Cherubim. Listen. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Testimony, I will meet with you. God said he was going to meet with Moses and the children of Israel at the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. Why does God choose cherubim to meet between? Well, when you go into heaven, there they are. When you have visions of heaven, there they are. I like to consider them like God's honor guard. Anytime you approach God, there's the cherubim. Flaming wheels. Makes me wonder if these guys are what gave Elijah a ride to heaven. Don't know. Cherubim were over the Ark of the Covenant, the very place where God met with the children of Israel. They were on the curtains to the holy place. And when the temple was built, two giant cherubim, their wings covered the entire holy of holies, overshadowed the whole thing. Why? Don't know. So I just say, hey, they're God's honor guard. I looked up one commentary just to see what they had to say about cherubim. They said this, uh, combining in and with itself the highest forms of subordinate creaturely life, not angels, they stand on the mercy seat and on that ground become the habitation of God from which his glory is to shine upon the world. I just can't deal with it. I don't get it. 
I don't see how a four-headed, multi-winged, multi-eyed thing with intersecting wheels buzzing around is cool. I don't, I don't even know what he's saying. Maybe it's not even going to look like that at all. I don't know. I just know we can't see God's world right. That I do know. But that won't always be the case. The Bible says this. Now, all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror. Later we'll see him face to face. All right, so I'm going to have to wait. Right now, I'm just going to have to content myself with thinking I don't really know what these things look like. And I guess when the time comes where I can see them, I'm not going to be looking at them anyway because they're going to be in God's presence. And I'm sure they'll be not on my radar. God will be on the radar. But when I was looking at this clip I showed you, this video clip, this two-dimensional creature, I really liked how... Dr. Quantum reached down and plucked her out, changed her, and brought her into a whole new world and a whole new breadth of experience. And what did she say? I never knew. The Bible says God's going to reach down, pluck us out into a whole new dimension. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. All we'll be able to say is, Wow, I never knew. It's called the rapture. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15. The body that is buried decays, but it's raised imperishable. It's buried in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's buried in weakness, but it's raised in power. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's what we have to look forward to. We're little flatlanders right now. We don't even have a clue how shallow our world is. But God is going to reach down and pluck us out and bring us into whole new vistas of imagination and joy and pleasure He's going to do that for every flatlander who believes in him, who trusts him, who obeys his son. For those that don't, nope. Just in an eternity of misery. The change from a flatlander to a three-dimensional being is offered to everybody through faith in Jesus Christ. The ability, finally, to see God face-to-face -face will be ours and can be yours if you've given your life to Jesus. If you've not, I encourage you to do so. Let him know you believe in him, that he died for you and rose again. Promise you'll turn from your sins and obey him to the best of your ability. And then wait for that last trumpet, which is going to usher you into his glorious presence. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We look forward to you taking us away from this place. As we wait, help us to be godly, honorable, loving, good people, serving you with joy. Lord, help us to be messengers of peace and bringers of the gospel. Please be with our youth group 
and those who join us tonight at Winter Haven to pass out tracts and candy canes. Please set up divine appointments that we might introduce people to you. We love Jesus. We thank you for him, and we praise his mighty name. Amen.